0: Pat, thank you very much. If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to please open it to the Gospel of John. John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54 will be our text this morning. This morning I asked Jody, what could I pass along to the church? And she said, I asked them to continue to persevere in prayer. And pray specifically that Emma's lungs will continue to stay clear. God has blessed us with two good weeks since I've had an opportunity to worship with you. Um, So we're just praying that her lungs will continue to stay clear. And the things she's doing will continue to become stronger. Those are our prayers as we continue this this unexpected journey. Follow with me in your copy of God's Word as I read John 4, 46-54. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go. Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him, that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Would you bow with me and let's ask God's blessing on this time of proclamation. Father, you are indeed amazing. The English language fails us to really convey the wonder with which you Operate in the greatness of your being. This morning I ask you, Lord, to give us fresh eyes to behold this miracle. Give us fresh ears to hear the power in the words of Jesus when he said, Go, your son will live. And renew our hearts, Father that we along with this official would be renewed in our belief that our faith would be reignited I pray especially for those who are weary of life's journey right now and I pray that this text this truth would reinvigorate them to continue on the path for those father who are enduring difficult circumstances I pray that this text would be a reminder That you are indeed sovereign and you are working all things for the good. So be glorified, Lord. Honor your name. Bring honor to it. And incline our hearts to be amazed again at who Jesus is. Because it is in his name and because of his death and resurrection that we pray. And the church said, Amen. I must confess to you that during this week of preparing and spending time in this passage it has resonated with me very deeply. Because for me this is not just a passage to be read and to be imagined what it would be like. To me this passage is something that is very real and lived not just on a daily basis but on an hourly basis. You see, this man, this unnamed official, has reached a point of desperation. No doubt doctors have been consulted. Specialists called in. Treatments tried. And the results have all been the same. The verdict has been rendered by those who who have the expertise to understand There's nothing more we can do. And in hearing that conclusion, this this unnamed official knows, just as you and I know, that this is not the way things ought to be. He knows that little boys are supposed to be climbing trees rather than burning up with fever. He knows that this is not the way things should be, but, but who can fix it? He can't change the course of the way things are going. Where can he turn? To whom can he he look to for help? Then he hears the prophets back in the area. And he remembers something. Something that he had heard about this man. Apparently a short time ago this man. This man from Nazareth had been at a wedding. And the story was told that the wine began to run out. And that this man told the host to fill the ceremonial washing jars with water. Fill them to the brim, he said. And then somehow... That water became wine, enough wine that everyone, everyone had all they wanted to drink. So, if this man can turn water to wine, maybe he can turn death to life. Maybe he alone can do what no one says can be done. So this dad takes a risk. He risks hoping and believing that Jesus can do something. He realizes all too well that many people are going to say that he's crazy. They're going to look at him and say, why in the world would you trust a prophet from Nazareth? After all, no, everyone knows that nothing good can come out of Nazareth. They will argue with him and they'll say, this man, he has no real credentials They will even say that that water into wine, that was some sort of trick, some sort of sleight of hand. Others will say they've gotten wind of things that he's teaching in Jerusalem. Crazy things like being born again. But this dad reasons. What's the alternative? If you do nothing then nothing's going to change. He could sit back and watch his little boy get weaker and weaker. He could dwell on how unfair this is, and he could give sway to hopelessness and despair. He could sit and fume and rage against the powers that be, but what good? What good would that do? So he goes to Jesus. And he goes to Jesus with a very simple request. Come and heal my baby. Jesus' first response is shocking. Verse 48, you read it. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The you there is plural. That means Jesus said it for everyone in that area to hear everyone that was within earshot. Is this a rebuke? Is this a warning? Is it both? After all John's gospel focuses upon signs. He says there are are seven signs that Jesus did in his life. And the sign is meant to point to the reality of who Jesus is. John wants us to see those signs and believe. In fact, he said the whole book was written so that we might know Jesus is the Messiah and to believe. But here is Jesus saying, you're not going to believe unless I do signs. Now he doesn't say that signs are bad. But this is a warning that being consumed with them could be very dangerous. You see, there's a danger in living our life always seeking a sign for Jesus because the Bible tells us that we as believers are to walk by faith and not by sight. So if we only trust in signs, if we only only live from miracle to miracle, if we only trust Jesus as far as we can see, then you and I will not go down the road very far. There's a dangerous sign signs that our faith becomes a, what have you done for me lately faith. Lord, show me what you've done for me now, and then I will believe. Do something now, and then I will go just a little bit further. What we are communicating then is that our faith is only good as long as the road is easy and smooth. But the road of life is rarely smooth and flat. If our commitment is only to follow Jesus when things are easy, we won't travel down the road very far. When we look only for signs, there's the danger of missing a greater blessing. Faith pleases God. In fact, in Hebrews it says without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Without believing who He is. And God is honored when we believe Him even when life doesn't make sense. And if God is greatly glorified, then our joy is magnified when we can say, Lord, I don't see how this fits together, but I will believe you anyway. But if we stop believing when things don't go our way, we won't travel very far down the road, will we? And we will miss the greater blessing of who God is. It's kind of like going into Sam's. And the first thing you're hit with is the little kiosk giving samples of food. It's very tempting to make that a meal. I've gone to Sam's Hungry intentionally. But you know, the whole point of that little kiosk is not to pull up a chair and strike up a conversation with the person and keep eating their chips and salsa, to try something greater. It's to say, this is just a little sample. You can get what's back there and take it home with you and relax and have more of it. That's the sign. The sign is just a little sample of the reality that's to push us to seek the Savior. And that's exactly what this man does. He's not deterred. It's as if now, even re-energized by this challenge, he says to him in verse 49, Sir... Come down before my child dies. Just like Jacob, millennia before this, he continues to wrestle with God. It's as if this man is clinging to Jesus and he's saying, I'm not going to let go until you come and you do this. This is a perseverance that is born from desperation. He won't stop because he knows that Jesus is his last and only hope. Do our prayers show such desperation? Are our prayers characterized by perseverance and pleading? Do you beg Jesus because you believe that He is the only hope? Do your prayers show a fervency that is born, an intensity that is born, of dependency that says, God, if you don't act, I have no other recourse. And if the answer is no, if deep down you know that you pray only when things are easy or only when they're difficult, but there is not a consistent dependency upon God, I would ask you why. If we don't pray, it's because we believe we are self-sufficient. If we don't pray, it's because we believe we can handle it. we don't pray it's because we believe that there are resources out there and that that God's working but I'm not a hundred percent dependent upon him if we don't play pray it's because we believe we are the answer to our problems in many ways we're like the 33 Chilean miners that were trapped 69 of them were trapped for 69 days it was in the news in 2010 as Rescue workers were trying to get to them, and as people were laboring in the light above the ground, there were some amazing things taking, down, taking place deep down in the dark. The miners came face to face with the reality of their imminent death. They took stock of their lives, and they realized that in the face of death, they were not ready to die. One of them, a man by the name of Jose Henriquez, was a Christian. People knew this. He he lived his faith. They respected Jose. So they began coming to him and asking him, Would you please pray for us? Some of the men joined him as he got down on his knees and he began to talk to God. And his prayer, as is recorded in the book, Deep Down Dark, went like this. We aren't the best men, Lord, but have pity on us then he began getting very specific a level of specificity that would make us uncomfortable because he began praying Lord Victor knows that he drinks too much Zamora is very quick to anger Lord Pedro thinks about the poor father he's been to his young daughter but the odd thing was nobody objected nobody said stop that's not accurate don't don't say those things they were quiet because they knew the reality of their sins before God It was the beginning of something very special. Because in that deep down dark, in the buried underneath the earth, with death staring them at the face, they got real with God and real with each other. They ate once a day, a very meager meal. Their food was rationed. But when they met to pray, they would hear a short sermon. And after the meal, they would get on their knees and they would pray, God, forgive me for the violence of my voice before my wife and son. God forgive me for abusing the temple of my body with drugs. They would confess to each other, I'm sorry for raising my voice. Or I'm sorry I didn't help get water. Meanwhile, up above, the rescue operation is going day and night. And unfortunately, the happiest part of the story became the saddest. Eventually, drills broke through. A narrow hole was cut through the rock. The miners were able to receive food, supplies, iPads to communicate with people at the surface. And they knew that eventually they would be rescued. They found out something else also. They found out that they were famous. And they found out that they may possibly get rich from their story. And as the word of those possibilities started, The confessing stopped. The praying stopped. The lure of money and fame and relaxing in the belief of their rescue caused them to stop seeking God. Isn't it amazing they were at their best when life was at its worst? You see, that deep down dark is the place where you realize you need God. It's a place of desperation. Do you notice Jesus doesn't rebuke this dad? This dad's in that place of deep desperation, and Jesus doesn't rebuke him by saying, didn't you hear what I just said about seeking signs? You see, this official's faith may not be deep, and it may not be perfect, but it's genuine. It's real. Jesus says, Go. Your son will live. And notice this official believes and he went on his way. We read over that without thinking about the oddness of that, there's no guarantees. What Jesus did was in many ways very odd because there were traveling, quote-unquote, faith healers at their time. People who claimed to have the ability to heal. But usually their practice was this, based upon uh, the writings of antiquity. They would have to be present with the person they were trying to heal. Not Jesus. Physical proximity does not aid nor hinder His authority. With the Word, He says... Your son will live. And notice, this official accepts Jesus on his own terms. Jesus, aren't you supposed to come with me? Aren't you supposed to do it like this? Aren't you supposed to give me the reassurance or something that guarantees this? No arguments. Just the word of Jesus and obedience. As we pray, do we take Jesus at his word? Jesus says, I am with you, even unto the end of the age. Yet we answer, but I can't see you or feel you. Are you really with me? There can be no buts with Jesus. Jesus says, don't worry or be anxious. And we answer, but but I'm a worrier. I'm just naturally uh, anxious about things. And Jesus, if you really knew what I was facing, you would cut me some slack. There can be no buts with Jesus. Jesus says, go and tell. We say, but. People will think I'm intolerant. But I don't know what to say. There can be no buts with Jesus. Jesus says, follow me we answer but I need to establish my career first I need to live a little first but but you know I need to to go out and experience life and then I will come and follow you there can be no buts with Jesus this man is rewarded for his faith his son receives life belief and life are intertwined in this passage Belief is emphasized in verse 48. Notice Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Verse 53, the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed. Life is also seen sprinkled throughout this passage. Verse 50. Jesus says, go, your son will live. Verse 51, you may not read the word life, but it's there. When it says that the servants told this official that his son was recovering, the word recovering is the very same Greek word for life. In fact, I believe it would be better translated there to say the son was living. But to show the son was not just living with illness, that he was getting over it, the translators chose recovery. But it's life. Verse 53, we're reminded that Jesus is the one who brought this to be. Your son will live. You see, the two are connected. Life and believing. Believing and life. But there's something happening here more than just physical life. Isn't it interesting, in verse 53, we are told that he himself, this official, believed in all his household. That's curious because we were told earlier that this official already believed. Verse 50, he says, the man believed the word. I think this shows a progression of faith. I think this is similar to what happened to the man named Job in the Old Testament. Job worshipped God. We know that from the very beginnings of the book. He worshipped God. He prayed for his children. And then Job loses everything. His friends come around him to try to comfort, to try to explain, to try to make sense theologically. But their words, their words fall to the ground. Then what I think is one of the most terrifying phrases in the Bible is in Job 38 where God says to Job, You've asked me some questions. Now let me ask you something. That's terrifying. God says, Job, you you question my ways, but let me ask you. Where were you when I put the stars into space? Where were you when I told the ocean, you stop here and go no further? Where were you when I placed the snow on top of the mountains? Where were you, Job? When I instructed the animals on how they should live and behave. Job forty chapter 42 contains something amazing. Job repented. The question has always been, what did he repent of? Job's righteousness is maintained all throughout the book. But Job says, I repent because I spoke too quickly. I spoke of things I did not understand. And then he makes this statement. He says, I had heard of you, God. But now I have experienced you. This man who was so faithful in praying and worshiping at the beginning of the book and throughout the book maintains his righteousness for God now says, I knew of you, but now I know you intimately in the midst and through the suffering." I think that's what's being implied here. This man had heard of Jesus enough to say, He is my hope. But now, after experiencing what Jesus has done, he says, If Jesus has done this, then I will believe no matter what. This is a movement from a what if Jesus does this faith to a Jesus has done this. Now, it is easy for us to sit back and to say, Well, If Jesus did something like that for me, then, then I would believe. But let me explain to you this morning. He's already done something like that for you. He has died for you. The foundational truth of our faith is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners. And that he rose again from the dead so that you and I can be right with God. His resurrection from the dead is the greatest sign that He could ever do. And He has done that for you. Does Jesus still work miracles? Yes, I believe that wholeheartedly. But even if He never did anything else, He would still be God. And Jesus would still be vindicated by His resurrection from the dead. So in in view of what Jesus has done, Should our response not be like this official? Should we not have a relentless faith that says, Since Jesus has died for me, should I not live for Him? Should we not have a relentless faith that knows that since He died for me, He will not forsake me? Should we not have a relentless faith that prays and pleads and then obeys Should we not have a faith that holds on to hope even in the face of the hopeless? Church, don't lose heart. Seek Him. Believe in Him. And experience life as God intended. I want to ask you to pray with me right now. As we enter into a time of invitation, I want to ask you, what circumstances are you facing that would drive you away from Jesus instead of to Him? Things happen in life that are unexplainable. Things that we look at and say, that's not fair. But I would ask you, is it better to live life angry at God and mad at God or to live trusting Him? Knowing that in the resurrection of the dead we see, we see a living example of how God overcomes evil. So this morning I pray that you would not lose heart. I ask you to pray for me and my family that we would not lose heart. Truth is, suffering comes to us all. Every one of us, at some point in life, will be in the place of this official. It may not be a child you're praying for. It may be a situation with a parent, a spouse, a a brother, a sister. It may be a situation where you realize you are totally helpless to do anything. And at that moment, I ask you to remember this official. who has a faith that perseveres and a faith that obeys Heavenly Father our lives are laid open before you like a book spread open on a table Father I pray that we would realize our utter dependence upon you our resources are extremely limited Father, your resources are infinite. Draw us into yourself, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand together.